Governor Bill Lee's first State of the State speech in an, a controversial education savings account plan. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of March 4th. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. With us today, we've got Adam uh, Tamborin, normally our justice reporter here at the Tennessean, uh, but we needed a little pinch hit from you because uh, our uh, colleague Jason um, uh, Gonzalez normally does education, was out of town. So Adam, let's kick it right off the bat. Uh, Governor Lee's $38.55 billion budget included a $25 million proposal related to education savings accounts. Uh, what is that? Why is it controversial? It's basically uh, a school voucher by another name. Uh, what it does is it um, will give uh, students in low perf- in the state's lowest performing school districts um, money that they can then use to go pay for private education elsewhere. Um, the idea is that if a student can't say learn to read up to grade level or um, uh, perform up to grade level in uh, public school, the state will say, hey, we'll float you the money to go do that somewhere else. Um, the Lee says this is going to promote competition and innovation across the board. Of course, critics have a different idea. Which uh, five school districts are we talking here? We're talking about um, the four school districts in the cities, or the, the state's biggest cities. So that would include Nashville, Memphis, uh, Knoxville, and Chattanooga. Also, the Jackson area um, school district and the state's achievement school district, which is a collection of the lowest performing schools in the state. Natalie, this isn't necessarily a new idea. Uh, it's got a new name, education savings account versus uh, school vouchers. But, you know, uh, why, why are they proposing this now? Yeah, well, it's been floated before in the legislature, and I think it was in 2016. Uh, we got fairly close to passing it, and it, that fizzled out. It didn't now. Um, but here we are with a governor who who campaigned the whole time, saying, I am a proponent for school choice. He was upfront about that. Throughout his campaign for governor, he appointed um, at least two people right away after being elected who had previously been advocates for school vouchers. So none of this is a surprise. We all were expecting it. Uh, we all figured that he would he would roll out some kind of school voucher or ESA program in his state of the state address. We didn't know if it would be a smaller scale uh, pilot program like this is or if it would be statewide. Uh, his, his office has indicated that they are interested in, in expanding this program in future years. Well, and I talked to one lawmaker, one Republican lawmaker after the, the speech. I'm not going to say who it was, uh, but basically they had wanted the statewide program. But this was kind of a concession that they said, you know what, you got to do things piecemeal. So if it takes announcing this and doing it one year, uh, a pilot program, then easily you could come back next year and expand it after you show if it works. Yeah. And, and it's I'm curious to see if there is going to be any effect uh, that the feedback from uh, school groups across the states, education groups, teachers, unions, et cetera, have on on this program and if we'll see any kind of changes implemented. I doubt it. But, you know, even today, you know, I spoke with uh, TOS, that's a, the Statewide Superintendents Association. Uh, their position has always been they, they don't want public money going to private schools. And uh, the Tennessee Education Association released a, a similar statement saying they were deeply concerned about this, this program. Um, and, 
and we're also hearing that from Democrats too, of course. I think it was Jeff Yarbrough who described this as uh, school vouchers on gift cards. And he's referencing the system in which, you know, some other states have implemented where basically families get these debit cards with, with the money on them uh, to use for uh, not only tuition at private schools, but other purchases related to their child's education. Adam, at one point in the speech, I believe the governor addressed sort of the criticism against this. Uh, what did he say? Yeah, he tucked in, I think, what was was meant to be kind of a fix for those critics, uh, which is something called an improvement grant. Uh, he has uh, committed to funding up to twelve or $25 million, uh, rather, in improvement grants that would basically replace the funding that goes with kids who decide to use these vouchers. So if... Um, there are a lot of kids in uh, Metro Nashville, for instance, using these vouchers. The school district would get funding, um, kind of that mirrored the funding they got, uh, and that school just the, the idea being that okay, we're going to give this student funding, but we're also going to pump um, the equal amount of funding back into the public school systems to include or encourage more improvement. And the argue the argument you'd hear from opponents is that well, why not just put you that could, money, you could put keep both, the money in the yeah. school, and then add the twenty five additional million in the first place. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to win that fight because it, it seems like at least this concession is better than not replacing that money. Of course, this education savings plan is one part of a larger education effort. Uh, there were significant investments in, uh, uh, you know, salaries for, for teachers. I think they got what, 71 million, That's something right. like that. They're supposed to get a two and a half percent increase. The teachers are. Yeah. And, and so, uh, another idea though, that was floated by the governor to go along with his school choice, uh, agenda, I guess is, is for, uh, Charter school. So, uh, what did the governor uh, announce on that tonight? So, he is doubling the amount of money um, to fund charter school facilities. So, he is proposing $12 million for charter schools to buy new property, to upgrade the property that they have, and generally expand operations. Um, as part of your regular day job, Adam, before we close out with you, uh, you cover criminal justice. Uh, there was a lot of talk about criminal justice reform in the lead up to the speech. The governor had talked about it throughout his campaign. What were some of the main highlights that you thought, OK, that's that's something that, you know, y- you think might gain momentum this year? Well, you know, I think um, he talked about it in really striking language. I think talking about how this lock up mentality doesn't do anything for the state. I think where um, his message is really going to resonate, particularly in um, a very conservative General Assembly, is talking about it being um, fiscally irresponsible to lock so many people up and send people to jails, to prisons, and create this overcrowded system where we're paying so much to house people. So he has proposed a series of initiatives that would cut back on the number of people who who are in prison, uh, and also to try and reduce recidivism so they don't wind back, uh, wind up back in prison once they are released. And clearly, I mean, he had the rhetoric set up for this, right? He's he's throwing out statistics at one point that were saying, I, I think it was somewhere in the 90% of uh, people that... Uh, 95% of people are not serving a life sentence. That's right. That's they will right. get out of prison. So, and, and I think the argument behind that is to show that, you know, these are, are, are the majority of the people we're talking about are nonviolent offenders, right? Mm-hmm. That people aren't going to threaten you in your everyday life sense that, you know, they may have had a drug charge at one point in their life. So why should they have to pay 20 some odd years for that? Right. And so some of what he's going to do is going to pump more funding into support and help for offenders. So funding, uh, increasing funding in state's recovery courts. So if you have a substance abuse issue, um, there are courts available to you that will divert 
um, some cases out of the traditional criminal justice context and put them more in that support and recovery mindset. There's also some funding in here um, to grow the number of people who are nonviolent offenders who can uh, be let out of, of prison without or jail uh, before trial without paying money bail. There's um, uh, pieces in here that are trying to say, let's shrink this this population where we can. Natalie, there was also some praise from Democrats in this element. Uh, I know Senator Ackberry uh, basically seized on some of the initiatives, including one uh, related to expungements, which we previously had her on the podcast here and talking about that. Uh, what are they saying about his criminal justice efforts? Yeah, you know, she she said that this the expungement uh, issue, which is where, you know, you have to actually pay a fee to get your record expunged and the charges removed from your record, that the governor's proposal to get rid of that currently $180 fee is going to go a long way in helping people clear their records, get on with their lives, get jobs. Uh, she did then turn it back to Medicaid expansion and saying, uh, if, you know, if we really wanted to help these people, a lot of whom are experiencing mental illness, uh, we would expand Medicaid in the state to get them that kind of treatment. Uh, it is worth noting for the record that that Billy is putting aside $11 million to to expand uh, mental health treatment for people who aren't, insu- who aren't insured. But yeah, uh, Ackberry and some of the other Democrats, too, have have expressed support for Bill Lee's priority with criminal justice reform. It, it's interesting. A, a bipartisan coalition of think tanks uh, from the left and the right um, released um, polling uh, earlier today showing um, that there's this really overwhelming support for for the at least the philosophy of mm-hmm. criminal justice reform of we're focusing on rehabilitation of eliminating um, money bail or shrinking that program where, where possible for nonviolent offenders. So I think um, Governor Lee is making this decision knowing that there's this wide um, kind of rare bipartisan coalition um, that is going to be supportive of this measure, these measures, and, and really um, help him push them across the finish line. A lot more to come on this podcast as Natalie and I break down the uh, uh, latest State of the State announcement and the budget from the governor. Uh, Adam, thank you for coming on and uh, definitely for, for coming in and pinch hitting on uh, education stuff that you may or may not have uh, been familiar with before. I am now. Of course, Governor Lee's budget also included several uh, major initiatives ranging from salary raises to uh, announcing and funding some of his programs that he previously announced. Um, one of the things that uh, he tried to tackle to some degree was health care, Natalie. Uh, didn't sound like it was to the satisfaction of Democrats, but uh, what did the governor propose? So his his sort of main announcement on the health care front was the formation of this was it the Healthcare Modernization Task Force? Yeah, it's a task force that's going to be led by uh, FNA Commissioner Stuart McWhorter. So it, it seems like from the limited information he announced about that task force, their job is to study how to, over the long term, reduce healthcare costs, which is something the governor has said is going to be his approach to solving the dilemma of hundreds of thousands of people in the state not having healthcare. Um, he, he is opposed to expanding Medicaid, but he said that he has he has plans to reduce the cost of healthcare in the state. Um, this task force is, I guess, the first step in that. He did announce a few short-term uh, changes that he said will also put a dent in the cost of healthcare, one of which was $8.6 million to pay for 
people to go to medical school who can commit to work as physicians in rural areas. Um, he also has set aside about $11 million for mental health care for people. And he's also wanting to, uh, again, put support behind telemedicine. Uh, so in response to that, Republicans, and specifically House uh, Republican Caucus Chairman, uh, praised these initiatives, saying that they are you know, a, a short-term effort on a longer-term uh, battle to uh, you know, bring down the cost of health care. Talked about this, uh, you know, although there's no money behind this block grant for funding effort. Um, they basically, Republicans are saying, uh, again, this is a multi-year effort that won't be solved overnight. But Democrats, they wanted to hear something else. What What did they want? They wanted to hear that, that the governors are going to expand Medicaid, which is not going to happen. Clearly not the case. Uh, Karen Camper, she's the, the House Minority Leader. Um, she actually held her own response state of the state speech after Lee's speech, uh, in which she, she called for him to expand Medicaid and said that Republicans are, are basically just playing political games and, and Tennesseans' lives are hanging in the balance. The people who are uninsured, she directly appealed to him as quote, Mr. Governor multiple times, um, calling on him to expand Medicaid, which, you know, if, if they say that Republicans are, you know, playing a game, it, it almost seems like Democrats are too, because clearly he's not, he's not going to expand Medicaid. Other investments the governor is making in his budget is uh, into the rainy day fund. That's essentially the state's reserve money. So uh, if there is an economic recession, the state will be able to tap into that. Uh, they, of course, had to do this after the uh, Great Recession in 2008 uh, in the aftermath. And we are now trying to get back to pre-recession levels. Uh, the governor is announcing more than 220-some million uh, dollars to go towards the rainy day fund that would bring the state back to, I believe it's about $1.1 billion. Yes. Uh, and, and so it's, it's going to be at what? 7.1% of something of, like that of revenue. Yeah. Uh, which it sounds like is maybe the highest it's, it's been. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, the governor's administration is saying that this contribution itself is the single largest contribution to the state's rainy day fund in, in history. Uh, so uh, obviously, you know, this whole idea is they want to be prepared for if and when there will be another economic downturn. All indications say that it will happen at some point. We just don't know when. So uh, beyond those uh, major investments, there are some other ones, of course, worth highlighting. Uh, we already alluded to it earlier, but uh, teacher pay raises. There's going to be about $71 million for K-12 uh, right. teachers. Uh, there's also going to be some 2% or more, I believe, uh, for state employees uh, that they will get raises as well as uh, correctional officers. So what does that mean for, for those folks? Well, it's important to note that right now, Tennessee has the 48th worst paid correctional officers in the whole country. Uh, we are ahead only West Virginia and Mississippi. West Virginia has a pay raise set to go in place this summer, July 1st. It's elusive company right there. <laughs> I've covered in one of those two uh, states. <laughs> so if we didn't, if we didn't uh, implement some kind of pay raise, we would then be 49th. I'm not sure how we'll fare compared to West Virginia now, but, but anyway, the department of correction, um, 
under Lee's plan would get $15.5 million in salary increases for those correctional officers, which based on the budget presentation that TDOC made uh, a month or so ago, that's that's Huge. significantly more than yeah. what they were asking. They if asked for like $2 million were, or something? Th- those were the numbers that we got at the time. Um, in addition to that, TDOC also asked for 40 new probation and parole officer positions. They said, you know, these people are overworked. They all have too many cases they're managing. Uh, and it looks like Lee wants to to grant them that request. Of course, there uh, is another component of the governor's speech that we, you know, in it, we didn't get that much time to explore. So there's a lot of unanswered questions. Um, We are still asking them right now as we're kind of pouring through this massive, uh, again, $38 billion uh, document. Uh, One of them is this idea, I believe, to, to, uh, what is it, related to uh, private donations or allowing private donations for, quote, critical student support service in distressed counties. We don't know. I don't even is. know what that means. Yeah, it's um it's some kind of three-year pilot program and it's uh yeah, exactly what you just read. All we know about is that in his speech he said it was going to provide these these critical services to students in distressed counties. What that means remains to be seen. That is not the only unanswered question. And among the other ones is, uh, what is the office of faith, uh, interfaith? What, what, I'm forgetting the Faith-based title. Faith-based and community initiatives. Um, yeah, that's- He mentioned it in his speech, but uh, what's, do we know a plan? We don't know what, what they're going to do. He did mention in the speech as an example of um, his belief that we do need more private public partnerships and that that is something, as he said on the campaign trail, as he said, you know, in, I think even his, his inauguration speech, speech and probably election night as well. He's repeated it over and over that that government is not going to solve all of our problems. Um, and and he thinks there need to be more of these partnerships. Overall, the governor's speech lasted about an hour. Uh, it was interrupted multiple times by several standing ovations and applause, as well as uh, Andy Holt's cowbell. Um, it was certainly, you know, on the inside of the chamber, uh, really embraced by a lot of the people there, including in the gallery. Uh, at one point, he uh, pointed out to several people that were in attendance, uh, including uh, some folks, and uh, one I guess that helped uh, uh, folks on this um, uh, the, the the recent flooding. Is that right? Yeah, he pointed out a uh, state trooper, Lieutenant Travis Platzer, who actually has a public information officer, so us reporters deal with him a lot. Who it sounds like went into knee deep water, waist deep water to to rescue some people who were flooded. So he did he did use the speech also as an opportunity to point out various Tennesseans he did throughout the speech who are are doing good work here in the state. Outside the chamber, it didn't seem like there were that many protests. Um, uh, I was Natalie and I were mostly inside of it, but uh, there weren't that many reports. Uh, uh, it was hardly what it was last year on Governor Governor Bill Haslam's final State of the State speech, where you could hear sort of of this bellowing of people calling for Medicaid expansion. None of that this year. The only protesters I saw were uh, two folks dressed as um, uh, people from, I guess, the, the Hulu mo- Handmaid's show, Tale. Handmaid's Tale, yeah. uh, with tape on their mouths. Um, That's Cassida on the tape. Yeah, calling out uh, Speaker Glenn Cassida. This week, we anticipate more protests being seen at the Cordell Hall, um, you know, plaza area. Uh, We've got uh, the Tennessee Immigrant and Refugee uh, Rights Coalition members coming. I don't know that they're going to be protesting per se, but I think they're going to be meeting with lawmakers, making their presence known. They they plan to have a lot of folks. Um, Moms Demand Action, which is sort of this, uh, they they dub themselves like a common sense gun 
gun rights group uh, are planning to bring hundreds, I believe, uh, to the Capitol in anticipation of, of several gun bills that are being considered. But uh, the anti-David Bird group has said they they will be returning week after week for his education subcommittee meeting. Yeah. So let's rewind a little bit. Uh, for those of you that may have been living under a rock for the last week, uh, there were several interesting uh, protest related developments uh, in the uh, largely house. So take us through those, Natalie. So was it on Tuesday? We had a group of women along with um, Justin Canoe. He had run for Congress as a Democrat and lost, as well as Christopher Hale. He had run for Congress as a Democrat and lost, too. They they attended an education subcommittee meeting that was being chaired by David Byrd, the representative who's accused of sexual assault on uh, three women when they were in high school back in the 80s. And they, they showed up um, just to sit in the meeting. They were holding eight and a half by 11 inch pieces of paper with, you know, different things written on it, like telling him to resign and that they support the women who came out against him. Um, then when the meeting was called into recess, some of them attempted to talk to Bird and another lawmaker, and they were actually escorted out of the meeting, told they couldn't be there. Um, so that happened. And then a couple days later on Thursday, there was another protest. This time it was not about David Byrd, but it was about the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest, the Confederate general, early Ku Klux Klan leader that's on display uh, outside the, the chambers at the Capitol. And uh, Justin Jones, he's an activist that shows up a lot over there. Um, at one point, allegedly, and he, and he is on video doing this, uh, through a cup of coffee or he says iced tea, uh, into an elevator where Glenn Cassida and some other, um, lawmakers and, and staffers were in it, the, the liquid got on him and, and representative Deborah Moody. And, and he faced two assault charges for that and has been banned from the Capitol and the Cordell Hall building. So tensions have been rising. As a result, we started asking more questions of House Republicans, and uh, there were some interesting responses to our inquiries as we met with them on the House floor uh, last week. Uh, we will continue to press folks on on you know difficult questions like uh, why they are continuing to support uh, Representative Byrd. Uh, as well as, you know, why, uh, you know, Tennesseans are being, being kicked out of hearings by holding sheets of paper. Um, that is normally not a thing that you get kicked out for, but, you know, uh, under this new era, anything goes, paper apparently. Paper cuts. I mean, you can use that as a weapon. So, of course, again, we thank you for tuning in to our uh, podcast. We are available each Tuesday on uh, uh, iTunes and wherever else you may find your podcast. This one is uh, Late Night Session, produced by no one but tomorrow morning, hopefully by <laughs> John Garcia. <laughs> and uh, again, thank you for listening. I'm Joel Eber. And I'm Natalie Allison. We'll see you next week.